Good morning. It's an honor and privilege to be with you this morning again. I've been here before, and uh, I think about sometimes the first time a, pers- uh, a church might call me to come preach, they, they're willing to experiment, but when they're willing to call me back again, you have a lot of trust. I appreciate that. Uh, on behalf of the faculty, the staff, and the students, thank you. Thank you for your support, for your encouragement, for your prayers for Calvin Seminary. Uh, I noticed that the next week you actually have my predecessor, uh, Dr. Neil Planiga is going to be here to preach. Uh, so you got back-to-back presidents. I don't know what that means, but uh, I, I'm glad for the continued uh, uh, support and encouragement of the seminary in so many different ways. Um, let me just give you this kind of perspective that we also are beginning our 142nd year of ministry. Uh, Kelvin Seminary traces its beginnings really to March 15th, 1876 when a pastor was chosen to lead the school, really has the inauguration that happens for his time, and especially for those five students that began. And if they were here today, they'd say, wow, what a change in terms of the world that's there. Uh, 50% of our students come outside, really, uh, Christian Forum Church. We have a blessings of being a world seminary in terms of where people are coming from. Uh, just uh, this past a few weeks, I could say to you, there's a beginning of a Hispanic ministry program again that we, we do at, at Calvin Seminary, that we have a Hispanic ministry and a certificate for family counseling. Uh, this past Monday was the international student orientation where you would have found students from India and China and Korea and other places. You would have, uh, this tomorrow, I invite you to pray for new students that are coming in. And just like many of us, the Right after Labor Day, we begin all over again in terms of our time and service. And it is a privilege uh, to see students especially coming from across the world and then going to visit many of them in their places of ministry. I've been to Indonesia a couple times, and there are three Calvin Seminary graduates who are leading schools where, once again, 90% of the population is Muslim. And how they then walk in that world where it's the most populous um, Muslim country in the world and there are tensions and there are also moments where it comes out so clearly this past uh, May we had a commencement where I then not just listed the number of countries represented but I like to actually read the number of countries represented in this list of 126 graduates uh, a number of them in our certificate programs for Hispanic ministry And so here's a list of countries and territories just this past May that we had represented. We had students from Cuba, Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, Nicaragua, Puerto Rico, and obviously the United States. 11 countries represented in our master's and PhD program, Brazil, Canada, China, Costa Rica, Ethiopia, Hong Kong, Indonesia, South Korea, Nepal, Nigeria, and the United States. 50 of our nearly 300 students come from Korea, so with all the news that's in there for North and South Korea, I invite you to pray for them, for their anxiety about being separated from family and friends, and for us as we begin uh, the year again. And we appreciate the continued support and encouragement of churches like you, Ivan Rest. I I do have a connection in different ways. Uh, One of your pastors was Art Schoenfeld, who was a pastor in Orland Park Christian Form Church when I was a student at Trinity Christian College. Uh, came there from Fulton, Illinois, a farming community on the, on the west side of Illinois and along the Mississippi River and 
uh, there and met Art and Nina and uh, had continued to be connected with them. And Tony Meyer and his brother Jeff were classmates of mine at, at Calvin Seminary. Um, I usually joke that when I come and preach for, for Tony, he's not here. I have no idea why, but uh, <laughs> no, I know. I just want to say to you, I, I come early and I, I usually find a seat that I'm pretty sure no one else is going to take, so I usually sit up front, all right? So you're just like most churches, they, you know, that they have that. But I'm pressed as I talk to people about your focus on service and especially looking at gift-based service ministry and what that means to acknowledge God's gifts and the variety of gifts that are here. Your support of pastors, and including supports for sabbaticals, that's so vital for the refreshment and renewal of pastors. So thank you for that. And uh, I have a new one now because what Lois said earlier in the announcements, I, I really appreciate your support of chemistry. When I heard about there's a punch concoction, I'm going to have to, <laughs> I want to have to try that out in a little bit. But uh, once again, thanks for your support for the seminary and for the work that's there. And especially as we pray for, uh, together for new school years, please remember uh, colleges like Kelvin and others and Calvin Theological Seminary, your seminary in so many ways. Um, let me just open our time again with prayer. Dear God, we just want to thank you for the fact that we can open up your word. So many places and even places where graduates of Calvin Seminary go, it's hard. It's not easy to start a Bible study, to build a church, to see you at work. But it is easy for us to pray for, and so let us do that. It's also encouraging, Lord, to know that our support makes a difference, not just here in the Christian form Church, but across the world. Thank you for this congregation, for their love of you, their love of service, and their desire to once again uh, show a love for you in their day-to-day -day life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn to uh, page 784 in the Bibles around you. There's a message outline as well, page 784. We're going to look at Matthew 3 and 4. And as I look out among, on you, I want to say you are a good-looking crowd, all right? But I want to also name a reality, especially on a Sunday morning for a church that's gathered. And this is for all of us, including myself. We're all pretty good at cover-up. We're all good at kind of putting on a certain face. This morning, I look out, and I can't tell some of the struggles you've had. This morning, we're going to talk about temptation. And temptation doesn't usually show up right here, right now, on a Sunday morning. Um, temptation is when we're separated from each other. That's when it seems more powerful. It's, um, it's there on Friday night, or maybe it's there on Monday morning as we face going to different people than church people. Um, in my life, I've been an attorney, so I know about cover-up in a different way. I've been a pastor for a long time, 16 years in New Lenox before becoming president. I still remember when I would talk to New Life Church about uh, the fact that we all come together and we have a certain mask on, we put a certain cover-up on. And he says, I would tell him, even coming to church this morning, was it a struggle for you? Was it difficult for you to maybe come to church, to get, to, you know, get the family together, come in the car together? I says, is it even possible this morning that on your way to church this morning, you had a little bit of a disagreement or even maybe a little bit of a 
a fight this morning. I want to let you know that I've been there. Jackie and I, my wife, we've been there. And we have found the solution of how not to fight together on the way to church on Sunday morning. We found the solution being that we take two cars to church on Sunday morning. <laughs> they laughed, you laugh. It's a reality of life. This morning, we're going to look at an encounter between Jesus and Satan. His encounter known as the kind of the temptation of Jesus, but it wasn't just a one-and-done moment. I'm sure there were other temptations, but this is one of those summer moments, I will put it that way. In summer, in the movies, you know, we have these blockbusters, these battles, and here we have a battle between, between Satan, the devil, and Jesus. So this morning, as we before we open up God's Word and, and once again look at that particular passage, I want to ask a couple questions for us to understand this moment. When was the first time that the devil met Jesus? What don't you think about that? As we kind of, from the hints of Scripture and from our understanding of, of that, we have this picture that, that Satan was really before he was Satan. An angel met Jesus pretty sure. And one who then went from worshiping God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to being cast down and away. It's not their first time that they've met. When in the Gospel of Matthew does the devil meet Jesus? In the Gospel of Matthew, we, uh, we open up really, and, and for those of you who are new to the scriptures, I invite you to just continue to read scriptures, not just come on a Sunday morning to a church, but continue to read together that's the way you gain more insights about the Bible. But it begins with this long genealogy of Jesus. And in that genealogy, you'll find stories like there's a king by the name of David who was tempted, tempted as he saw someone who was beautiful over there saying, that woman, even though she's married to someone else, I want that woman to be mine. And so as you read, and that's not the only story in, in the Gospel of Matthew, as you open up the story of Matthew, you'd, you'd find twists and turns, and there's Satan trying to stop the plan of God related to salvation. There's even a plan when Jesus is born, and we have this moment where, where we have the, uh, these magi, these people from the east, these wise men, they come, and they are going to want to worship this new king. And they actually come to Jerusalem because that's where they think that that new king will be. And there's a person by the name of King Herod who says, um, let me help you find that person. And oh, by the way, when you find that person, come back and let me know where that person is. Satan's there whispering to King Herod, you'll want to stop that baby. And when the Magi do not return, the whispers to King Herod become military orders to strike down all those young boys, two years and younger. Satan, the devil, is meeting Jesus, but from the shadows. And the devil then emerges from the shadows after the baptism of Jesus. And we're going to begin with reading that, that moment where Jesus is ready to inaugurate his ministry in a new way. He's been serving, serving as a carpenter, serving as a son, serving as a follower of God. And then we read in Matthew 3, beginning of verse 13, these words. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, the Jordan River, to be baptized by John, the one who becomes known as John the Baptist. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as John was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then, and that's verse 1 of chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, which is a, a time marker in so many ways, those 40s and other times, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I want to note at the beginning that uh, there's a book by the name of Henry Nouwen I'm going to refer to later called In the Name of Jesus that looks at this temptation. And so some of the, the thoughts I have from there, and if you want to dive in deeper into this, uh, I invite you to think about that. It's just a few verses. But it displays again the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. We can learn from, the, from Jesus in so many ways, and certainly even in this, the journey of temptation. As we think about the temptations and Jesus' response, I want to know from the outset that while we can learn from Jesus' example, what we really need is Jesus. And this is not a message about let's just try harder, let's avoid the temptations of money, sex, and power, but let's acknowledge this morning, let's take the cover up away, the mask away, and let's just be honest with ourselves that we are tempted. It comes at us in different ways, in different places. For each of us, there's maybe a unique temptation that especially strikes us. That this morning when we prayed, Lord, again, forgive us our sins, that we recognize there's some sins that we do again and again and again. That each of us this morning, we should acknowledge our brokenness, 
Because when we acknowledge our brokenness, then we can find true healing. Healing that comes from Jesus, who's the author and finisher of faith. And who once again shows us his power over what we think is so powerful, sin, darkness, death. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome. So let's look at that first temptation again. It comes after 40 days and 40 nights. It parallels that 40, again, images of preparation. It also is about uh, the idea that you dedicated a certain time to God, that even God wanted the people of, to be prepared to enter in the promised land. So when they were not ready, and they clearly showed they were not ready, that God said, okay, you're going to wander in this desert for 40 years, and, and a new generation will be formed out of this, but there's this 40, 40, 40 that keeps coming up. And at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is hungry. And so Satan slips out of the shadows and then comes, and so the first temptation is, if you're really the Son of God, tell these stones, tell these stones to become bread. Break your fast right now. The first temptation is to focus on the here and the now, the immediacy of that moment. You're hungry. Get bread. Eat. No longer have the rumblings in your stomach anymore. Now this morning, we need to have maybe an understanding of fasting as we even think about breakfast. And I said it that way this morning because breakfast, that word breakfast, comes from this idea of breaking the fast. And let's be honest, we're pretty good at breaking fasts. We like to eat around here. But breaking a fast is a time of understanding that you made a certain vow, a commitment, and you do it with intentionality. You don't do it just uh, out of the flippancy of the moment. When you break a fast, especially when it's related to a vow before God, is a time of dedication, celebration. Probably, you know, be very direct with you. Some of the ways that we probably see fasting more often celebrated the way that it was then was actually for Muslims at the end of Ramadan. And so when Satan comes to Jesus, he does a temptation, a route that, let's be honest, it's very, very close to our hearts. Sin is most appealing when it's there, right here, right now. But the response of Jesus is to see this reality from an, an eternal perspective. Jesus' response is, man doesn't live on bread alone. That only satisfies for a moment. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God, I need to have this connection to God. And if I break this fast now the way you want me to, I turn my back on God. And so Satan slinks away. And then comes a little bit later, taking him to the holy city having stand on the highest point of the temple and starts again with the same kind of phrasing. If you really are the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. And then he adds a scripture verse. He adds scripture to his statement of temptation. The second temptation is to be spectacular, to show off. Jesus, you want to be known as the Son of God? Fine. Let's just do it in Jerusalem. Let's do it here. You know, I know you went to that Jordan River just a little while ago, but that's just a backwater place. Why don't you do it right here, right now, before everyone? If you would jump off and angels come and descend and catch you, which they say they will, everybody will know about you, Jesus. 
your life, your ministry will get off to a spectacular beginning. You can show off to everyone. The response of Jesus is consistent all through, but here's the response. It's rooted in God's words. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan, you might know a little bit of scripture, but you're twisting it. You twist the truth just as you twisted the truth to Adam and Eve in the garden. You've twisted the truth time and time again. But I am rooted in God's word. Just want to, especially if you have your Bibles open, to note that each and every time Jesus quotes scripture, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is that book that, especially as Moses is preparing the people to enter into the promised land without him, this book, Deuteronomy, is to prepare people to enter into that new land. Deuteronomy is one of those Bible books that that says here we're going to come together and tell the story and root yourself once again in what God's plan is for your life. And it's not to be spectacular. It's to be a witness. It's to be a show people. So that when other people are looking, where is God? They'll see the people of God and say, oh, there is where God is present. Third temptation devil takes him again to a very high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he says, you know, I have these, and I can give them to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Now, just in that moment, I want you to think about what Jesus already knows. Jesus knows that he's going to suffer. If he knows the scripture, and he does, and he's a person who was there from the foundation of the world. Let's be honest. He knows about suffering. He knows there'll be people who will deny him. He knows there'll be people who will betray him. He's not surprised by that. And he's not surprised that the journey ends with death. And so Satan comes to him and says, You know, um, you're here to take the kingdoms of the world, right? And I know you have a certain pathway that you and the Father have identified, and that's, a, that's the pathway of going through a lot of stuff, ending in death. I have another way. I have another way for you to, to get what you want, the kingdoms of the world. The third temptation is to take a shortcut to service, to take a shortcut. You're going to end up in the same place, right, Jesus? You're going to have the kingdoms of the world. You're going to have them. All you have to do is just bow your knee. Bend your knee. Acknowledge that I'm in control right now. And you don't have to go through that suffering. You don't have to die. And Jesus directly turns to Satan and says, Away from me. And for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The response of Jesus is rooted in his identity as a worshiper and a servant. This morning, um, we read Matthew 3 and Matthew 4 together because, well, because I want you to think about how Jesus had this moment of great affirmation in support and love as he's baptized by John. That as he's baptized, that the heavens open and a dove descends and you hear a voice, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus notes his identity as a worshiper of the Lord only. 
and as a servant only. The responses of Jesus actually flow together, don't they? To look not just for the immediacy of the moment, but have an eternal perspective. To be connected and rooted in God's word so that it is one that plants you, so that you are not swayed by the temptation winds that come. And thirdly, that you understand whose you are, whose you are. We are to be worshipers and servants of God alone. But this morning, again, we began by noting how easy it is to cover up, to show, to not show our, really, the brokenness that's in our lives. I especially remember this kind of the subtle nature of temptation uh, as a young boy growing up on a hog farm. Some people are impressed that I'm a lawyer from Florida or president of Kelvin Seminary. There's other people here who are just impressed that I'm a hog farmer's son. And afterwards, we can talk. I'll, I'll stay up after the service to talk to any of you if you want to talk more about the seminary or Fulton, Illinois or other places. My uh, mother and father were especially gifted in their living, but they're gifted in hospitality. And so if there was a, a guest pastor that came to town, many times my mother offered to have them over to the house. We'd have Sunday dinner together. And I still remember this young, young preacher I, who said, you know, I, I really want to walk around and take a look at the farm you got here. And my dad goes, you know, it's a you know, it's kind of messy out there in the barn, and you got your Sunday clothes on. No, 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 I, I'll, I'll be careful. Please, l- let me go out and see the, the farm. I mean, and my dad finally relented because that's what hospitality does. And so my, this young, young preacher walked through the farm. And then Sunday night, we had a Sunday night service then. And we had a non-air-conditioned church. And we had a fan directly behind the pastor <laughs> blowing toward and some of you already know what the smell was like yeah there was a smell the odor of the farm was still upon him he looked fine but something had clung to him we'll put it that way see temptations about like that that it uh clings to us it comes to us in different ways and we might look once again really clean But the reality is our hearts are twisted. They need heart surgery from God. What we face on a Friday night or a Monday morning, we again come to God and God said, God, help me to once again follow you. So this morning from the background of being a a lawyer turned pastor to just being a person, here's where I have found and where I know others have found that they are especially no temptation is present and the whispers become a little stronger three times just real quickly when we're alone when we think no one is watching and so that's why it's so good to be in community and keep in community and recognize that might be one of your temptation zones let's put it that way another is when the whispers of satan especially might be present is when we feel abandoned when no one cares And once again, it's so valuable to be in a community to know that people do care for you. So if you're here for maybe the first time or just the third time and you still are walking out and you got your car parked so you can drive away real quickly, slow down just a little bit. This is a great church community. And third is when we think we deserve something and that's what we want. King David is kind of that model for us. He was also alone. He kind of was not with his troops, 
but he thought, I'm the king and I deserve Bathsheba. And he's no different than us. Henry Nouwen in that book, In the Name of Jesus, says, let's be honest, the long, painful history of the church is a history of people ever and again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, being a leader over being led. And this morning, we want to again focus upon love. We want to focus upon the love that brought Jesus to the cross so he didn't bow down his knee to Satan and that he is our leader. He is our example. This morning, I, I want to draw your attention again to the title of this message. I could just said Jesus tempted or something like that, but I, I deliberately wrote the title as the detour of temptation. I did not write the dead end of temptation. For this reason, and for myself as well, when we are tempted, and even when we fall, we need to understand it's not a dead end. I know the word detour is not very positive. I mean, M6s, there's a detour there. How many of us don't like that? But there is another way. And in this moment, the detour of temptation keeps leading us to Jesus Christ who says, I made that other way. I am with you. I will pick you up. I will carry you. I will once again forgive you. I will be with you the next moment Satan comes to you. And if you'll let, let me, I'll be the one who says, get behind me, Satan. He is our protector. And as already read this morning, but let us read it again, he is our high priest. It's not a dead end because of what Jesus has done. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When you are tempted, approach God's throne with confidence because grace is there for us. And for that, we can give thanks and pray. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your love for us, a love that caused Jesus to face temptation and battle with Satan. We thank you that because of Jesus, he is not only the author and the finisher of our faith, he's the cornerstone of our faith. We pray this morning that you would once again have us not cover up, but come to the cross. Help us not put on a mask, but instead lay that mask down so we can see Jesus. And that we can once again rest, rest in him. Thank you for this church family. May once again this community grow and develop and be your family, your heart, your hands in this world. In the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people say, amen. I invite you to stand as we sing in response.